This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome to Unlikable Female Characters, the podcast about women who don't give a damn if you like them. I'm Lane Fargo, and I'm here with Kristen LaPianca. Hello. And our guest today is Sandra S.G. Wong. Sandra writes in multiple genres, including the cross-genre Lola Stark novels and Crescent City short stories. She has been a finalist for the Crime Writers of Canada Awards of Excellence and long-listed for the Whistler Independent Book Awards. She also used to be the president of Sisters in Crime and is now the immediate past president, which still sounds very fancy. And her (laughs) new book, In the Dark We Forget, comes out June 21st. So welcome, Sandra. Thank you. Very fancy. Welcome. We're so excited to have you here. We actually were putting together our list of like people we wanted to talk to this summer, looking at the books that were coming out, and you were very high on our list. And then your agent reached out to me. She's with the same agency that my agent is. And I was like, what a coincidence. We were literally just talking <laughs> oh, about that. That is so great. Yes, we're agency sibs. I just love that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I was stalking you on Twitter ages ago, as soon as I found that out. And I was like, when will Lane Fargo follow me back? I don't know, but I'm oh my God. <laughs> I when did I follow I just followed you on Instagram I and no I thought idea. I was yeah. following you for a long time. That happens to me all the time. Like I'm sure that I'm following someone because I'll see their tweets because like other people that I follow follow them. Right. <laughs> yes, same with me. Oh, internet. Yes. Yeah. Well, I apologize for not following you back right oh, away. Oh gosh. No, <laughs> don't even worry about it. Like that's gonna be the top of your list. I don't think so. <laughs> I get really overwhelmed by Twitter. It's like I look at it and I'll engage with it a little bit and then I just get overwhelmed and have to hide from it. I have a really lovely relationship. Yeah, no, that's healthy though. It's healthy to hide from Twitter, I think. It would be healthier to just delete it. (laughs) Well, I don't know. I can't quit it. I'm sorry. (laughs) You know, there's the otter videos and (laughs) I pet that dog and foxes. Yeah, I just can't. I can't quit Twitter. I'm sorry. (laughs) Yeah, I can't quit it either. I want to believe that I could, but I can't. (laughs) Yeah, I want to believe that I could just stop using it without having to take the drastic step of deleting it. But for some reason, that's impossible. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, I know. I know. I hear you, sister. So your new book, In the Dark We Forget, comes out June 21st. Could you tell us a little bit about the book and also the main character, Cleo? Sure. I'm always torn about whether or not I should use her name because the book starts out with her waking up with amnesia at the side of a highway. But yeah, in the course of her recovering her identity 
and trying to recover her memory, she discovers that her parents have vanished and she discovers there's a $47.3 million jackpot in the mix just for kicks and giggles. So it's told from my protagonist's point of view and she's not too sure what's happened with her parents, let alone herself, but she does find a really loving, supportive younger brother along the way and they just try and piece everything together themselves. So in the manner of a kind of domestic suspense, I guess could be the the genre, though some people are calling it a psychological thriller and I don't really know what the difference is. I don't know either. I mean, I guess domestic, I think, definitely family. Usually it's husbands and wives, so it's really interesting to yeah. see a brother-sister relationship at yeah. the heart of a book like that. If it is indeed domestic, we can call it whatever we want. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it's just a great book, people. I'm just going to call yes. it that. Okay. <laughs> I mean, I hope. <laughs> yes, it is. Yes, and it's so great. how did you come up with this concept of some of the same <laughs> you done, the lottery ticket? There's so right. much going on. I love it. I was in the Canadian Rockies on a road trip with my husband. We were there for an anniversary trip away. And we came around this bend in the highway. The Trans-Canada is what it's called, the number one, which cuts across Canada west to east. And we came around a bend (laughs) just east of Lake Louise. And there's a patch of flat-ish grass next to the highway. I'm like, what would it be like if someone just woke up there? Like it had no idea how they got there or who the hell they were. And that's when it started. <laughs> that's yeah. what it's like to travel with a thriller writer. Yeah. We're always like, yes. someone could get yeah. murdered there and this like, Absolutely. horrible thing could happen over there. Can't turn Absolutely. it off. <laughs> we cannot turn it off. It's just who we are. So yes. yeah. And for anyone who's listening, uh, if you've ever been to the Canadian Rockies, they're immense. They're amazing. They just make you feel so insignificant. So, so I thought, let's add that into the mix, right? Because... You stare at the mountains at the tops. It's like a carpet of trees. And you're like, oh, how could you possibly find your way? If you got lost, what would you do? For me as a city person, you know, would I have my phone with me? Could I use the compass? I don't even know what that means. Like, (laughs) what would I do? So yeah, that was the spark. And then I just kept thinking about the character and like, who is she? What is she like? What's her relationship with her family? I love thinking about families and like, my favorite kind of totally fucked up families. Those are the best ones I find to really ruminate on. And like, why do people do what they do? Why do they keep coming back if they keep coming back? Like, what is that about families that makes someone do that? That's probably why I did it. Siblings, brother and sister, rather than husband and wife. Plus there's a lot of really great books of domestic suspense that are husbands and wives. So I thought, you know, someone else can take care of that part and I'll just focus on this story and see where it takes me. I love how as the reader is getting to know the protagonist, she's getting to know herself. We're meeting her and she's meeting her at the same time, really, because she doesn't know who she is. And I think that's a really fun way to launch herself into a story because anything is fair game. But I bet as a writer, that was pretty challenging because not having a real sense of your character's identity can probably make it a little tricky to get the story rolling. Well, thank you. Thanks for saying it worked for you. Because, you know, for some people, it doesn't work, right? They're like, who is this person? I want to know right away. But I I like to do things that are interesting for myself as a writer, and then hope that other people find it interesting as well. I am a person who likes to have an outline as just a touchstone, a lodestone. So I, I can return to it if I write myself into this total tangent where I'm completely lost. At least I'll come back to the outline and see, well, what was I originally thinking? 
But for this character, I did have a sense, you know, she started out on one end of a certain spectrum. And then I actually had to pull her back from the edge because she was a little too much, too obvious. She was too straightforward. And I thought, well, let's have a little mystery, <laughs> no pun intended, to mm -hmm. this character. Because she's a mystery to herself. And I thought, well, what, was, what would that look like? What if you really wanted to know who you were? And then from there, from a writing perspective, what would the stakes need to be so that she really needed to find out who she was and like pretty damn quickly. So I think I had a fairly good idea of who she was at the beginning because I do a lot of work on character before I start drafting. But she really did surprise me. And I know it's such a cliche and to be really honest, sometimes I hear writers talk about their characters like they're real people and they speak to me. And I'm like, okay, that does not happen to me. But <laughs> in this case, she took me some places I didn't really know that I was going to go. So that was actually a lot of fun. Well, I also really love how as she begins to discover who she is, she realizes that she is a bit of an unlikable female character in her past life. Like, yeah. She is known for being blunt and sarcastic and sometimes rubbing people the wrong way. She's like, who am I? Oh, I might be a bitch. This is wonderful. <laughs> and that her amnesia somehow made her nicer. Yeah. <laughs> I was telling my partner about this book. He was like, wow, what would it be like if you like got a bump on the head and then you were like nice? I wouldn't know what to do. I'd be so freaked out. I'm like, I know, yes. right? It's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I think that's totally true with any of us. If we have no memory of our family or any of the experiences that made us who we are in this moment, then are we going to be the same person? Are we not going to be different? Aren't we going to take a look at who we are. We're going to hear all these stories from other people about who we were. And then there's sort of a freedom to say, well, do I want to keep doing that? Do I want to keep going down that road? Do I want to slip back into those clothes? Because you know they're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable, right? And I find that fascinating. The idea of identity, personalities, character, like how much of that is the choices we make along the way. And if that's true, then what are the factors that come into our choice? Like I'm a total nerd about lots of stuff and, and human beings are definitely fascinating study for me. <laughs> yeah, I wrote down this quote when her brother is telling her stuff about herself <laughs> from before. And he's like, oh no, you're not. I mean, you're just like kind of abrasive and sarcastic. And she says, I may have amnesia, but I remember enough to know that's what gets a woman called a bitch. <laughs> yeah, I love that line. <laughs> oh, I'm so glad. <laughs> yeah, I really like this character. She was a lot of fun to write. So I'm so glad that you connected with her. Yeah, totally. And it was really interesting as well how she unconsciously, and then it sounds like in her past life, consciously used her status as a petite Asian woman. So people wouldn't yeah. find her threatening. That was really interesting commentary yeah. on how people perceive Asian women throughout the book. It's also a comment on what do you do with that as a petite East Asian mm -hmm. woman? What do you want to do with that? this perception that's put on you. How do you want to use it? Do you want to use it? Do you want to spend your life fighting against it and saying, I'm not yeah. like that at all? Or do you want to exploit it to your <laughs> advantage because you know that the world is just not fair? So I wanted to play with that because, you know, in my experience, I've met all sorts of East Asian women, Chinese Canadian women, Chinese American women, Chinese Australian women, etc., who just navigate all that in all different ways. So I think that in terms of immigrant stories that many of us have read or seen on the screen, there's definitely that, you know, Dragon Lady versus the Demure, what's that one movie? 
flower drum song. Like, we're not all going to break into song, but this sort of (laughs) filial, piety, following, uh, obedient daughter. There's these two extremes, the East Asian version of the Madonna whore, I guess. But we have, like, people all over the spectrum between that. So I wanted to see what could a person be like if they were the kind of person who decided they'd want to exploit it instead. And that's definitely something Cleo discovers about her previous self. There's a point in there where she's like, well, if I have to decide who am I going to be from here, what am I going to do now? And that question fascinates me for sure. We had a similar discussion with uh, Amanda Giatissa, the author of My Sweet Girl, when we interviewed Mm -hmm. her last year. Her main character does a similar thing where it's like the white people around her are seeing her in a certain way and this character is choosing very much to exploit that and use it and it's kind of like why not it's the white people's (laughs) fault for having these preconceived notions yes it should be used against them why not (laughs) yeah i i think too it goes beyond ethnic boundaries like just women in a patriarchal society we all get that right that you know hey Mm -hmm. little lady i mean how many women do you know who've been called that little lady oh yeah right so then do you want to lean into that I hate that phrase but sorry I used it do you want (laughs) to use that or do you want to set your boundaries and say don't call me that it's kind of a moment to moment right like is right now in this situation we're thinking to ourselves like is it worth it to draw that line right now with this person no it's a five minute interaction I don't care never gonna see Uh this person again but if this is my boss my supervisor then it's probably a line I should be drawing you know, for that person to understand not to cross. So I think we all have that as women and any kind of marginalized group. If you're from a marginalized community, you're going to have to deal with that in in some way, shape or form. Yeah, Yeah, that's a really good point. And it's exhausting because you have to constantly reevaluate where that line is and does it need to be reinforced. It's not like, well, there's the line and things will fall where they are. You have to evaluate every single interaction differently based on whether or not that's a boundary you need to assert. It's very yeah. tiring. Yes, mm-hmm. it is. I'm always saying like, if I'd have to deal with all that shit, just think of what I could accomplish. <laughs> yeah, is this why the mediocre white men do so much? Because they don't have to think about these things. It's just like freeze yeah. up the bandwidth in their brains. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, we would rule the world, I think, otherwise, which is the point. That's the point, right? That's why we're exhausted dealing with this stuff, and they are not. So do you want to talk a little bit about how this book is different from your other books? Oh, wow. Thanks. Yeah. So you mentioned Lola Stark novels and Crescent City short stories. So that that was the series that I started publishing with. I signed my first book contract like 10 years ago, and it was for the first of the Lola Stark novels. And those are alternate history, hardball detective <laughs> with ghosts and magic. So <laughs> those are very different. <laughs> those are set in a 1930s era Chinese Los Angeles. And Lola Stark is the series protagonist. She's a trust fund baby, but she's my femme fatale as a hard-boiled PI. She goes around digging into other people's secrets pretty much because she just feels like it. So she has an interesting background and I created a whole world for her. I have a number of short stories published that I write in that world that I call Crescent City. I really was taken by that idea. And so I ran with it. And then in 2018, I got the idea for this book, as I mentioned, on a road trip. And I thought, you know, maybe I can try writing something contemporary and see where that takes me. I also write romance. So. <laughs> oh, you do? Yeah. I That's do. so cool. 
Yeah, I do. I'm a massive romance fan from a very early age. Romance and mystery are the two genres I grew up reading. But I was a late reader because my parents, as typical immigrants, they didn't really think that fiction was worthwhile. They always caught me reading books and they're like, why are you always reading books? And I'm like, why wouldn't I be reading books? Life <laughs> sucks and I hate school. So yeah, I'm reading books, man. <laughs> but yeah, so that's the difference. The Lola Stark and Crescent City stuff. Those are fun, but they take like a certain mindset, right? I have to be in like the 1930s ethos and trying to remember all the slang. And so when I go back to writing those, I'll have to do a deep dive back into all of my noir films, be binging noir films so I can get all <laughs> the vocabulary back and all the slang. Those are fun too, because there's no technology in them. There's no cell phones, you know, there's magic and stuff. And I have my own magic system, which is fun, but magic systems are only fun when you put limits on them. So I sometimes write myself into corners. So I'm like, I have no idea what I'm supposed to do now. So, <laughs> but I think that happens with any genre. It doesn't really matter if you're creating a whole world or you're just writing it about your own neighborhood. <laughs> yeah, there's so many corners to write yourself into. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> My big weak spot is all the like forensic and detective work kind of stuff. And so I was really impressed with how, I mean, I'm just assuming everything was correct because I'm not going to go look it up because I yeah. <laughs> thought of that stuff. But <laughs> so much of this book is dealing with the police and their investigation and really the step-by-step -step process. What kind of research did you do? Yeah. So for other nerds like me who like to read acknowledgments, you'll see that I do thank a few people. And then I say all errors <laughs> are either... <laughs> by mistake or by design. So I freely admit that I did not deep dive into procedure because I like that's not this book, right? And other mm -hmm. writers do a way better job of going step by step, step in, in a really great suspenseful way through procedurals. And that wasn't what the focus for this book was. So I did basic due diligence. I did speak to someone who works for the RCMP, who was just like a personal friend, so not in an official capacity. And I was like, so what would happen if this, what would happen if she <laughs> woke up on the side and she went to the detachment, the closest one, and then what? And so he just said, well, then it would do this. And then if there's that, and if there's a drugging involved, then it would have to be this. And I'm like, okay, great. And then I just went with it after that. <laughs> it all seemed very official to me. <laughs> thank you. Thank you so much. I mean, of course, I did some internet research and uh, thank you to the um, RCMP site. Thank you, Government of Canada. But I mostly just pieced together like what would make sense? And then I just double checked some stuff to make sure it wasn't completely out of bounds how their detectives would act with a victim and how would that go. So I'm really glad that came across as plausible. And I'm totally open. I'm sure someone's going to email me at some point and say, you know, that was totally wrong. And I'll say, okay, thanks. <laughs> People love to do that. Oh, right? they sure like, Wow, thanks. great. I'll go fix the book that's already been printed right now. Right. Yeah, of course, in my fantasies, I have a certain rejoinder, which I probably will never say out loud because that would be really rude and I don't like being rude to people to their faces <laughs> I think in our fantasies the best response I could come up with would be like thanks for letting me know but did you keep reading because if you kept uh -huh. reading it doesn't really matter <laughs> right <laughs> like, not that rude. it doesn't really matter <laughs> Is Canada yes. like the Midwest in this way that we're just like really, really subtly rude and passive yes. aggressive? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I feel like we have that in common. Yeah. yeah, that's the whole country. Like, I live on the prairies, which is like our version of the Midwest, but it's a whole country. Yeah, super passive aggressive. That's so We'd fit right in. Yeah, we would fit right in. We could move yes. to Canada, Kristen. Yes, great. Please do. Come, come visit. <laughs> oh, man. I think about it a lot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Things are not going so great. They are here. not. They are not. 
I also wanted yeah. to talk a little bit about Cleo's relationship with Naomi, the Japanese-Canadian police constable who mm-hmm. is kind of on her case and then not on her case, and, but is like an ally to her throughout this. I thought their relationship was fascinating. Oh, good. Yeah. What do you think about it? Tell me more. Well, obviously, Naomi cares about her and doesn't want anything bad to happen to her and feels a sense of responsibility because she was one of the first people that had contact with her after this incident. Mm -hmm. But also, they both know that Naomi is being put on this case basically because she's an Asian woman and, like, not even, (laughs) like, Cleo Mm -hmm. is of Chinese descent and Naomi's of Japanese descent, but the other people are just like, oh, you're both Asian, you'll get along. So they feel that pressure, (laughs) but they do actually have a lot in common as well. It's that interesting tension. I'm glad you picked up on that. I mean, that's a kind of a weird circumstance in my actual lived experience, I guess. When you see other people of color, for me as a Chinese Canadian woman, see other East Asian women in a white space, then it's like the thought is, is that a friend or is that going to be someone who wants to compete with me because Mm. that happens right with non-white people in white spaces it could be like who wants to be closer to whiteness who wants to go through the motions and the processes and be in the system of whiteness and benefit and who wants to just be themselves and everything in between along that spectrum so I, I wanted to explore that just a little bit and I felt like Cleo would as a character, it would make sense for her to cling to this person who, through her actions, has proven that she understands a, a little bit better where Cleo is situated, you know? So there's comments about big strapping white guys and, <laughs> and stuff like that, right? And it's well known in Canada, the RCMP is not super inclusive. So I, I figured I couldn't not mention that either because that's the reality of the world that they're in. And so what is that like for an East Asian woman who is an RCMP officer, because you don't see many of those in all of my life. I've ever only seen one personally. So I'm like, okay, what would that be like? And how would that affect how Naomi approaches, you know, a quote unquote uh, victim that looks like Cleo? At one point, my editor was like, so is there a romantic thing happening between them? I'm like, no because I don't want to go in that direction. I wanted to make it focused on Cleo's little family and her, the sibling relationship and the parents. And I just didn't feel bandwidth-wise for myself. Like I was equipped to also put in a romantic mm-hmm. storyline. So I didn't deal with that. But I mean, who knows, right? If they had become closer <laughs> friends, who knows? I was shipping them a little bit. I was kind yeah, of like, me too. <laughs> I know it's not the time we're going through a crisis, but like maybe later. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but Naomi's such a great character because at least in speaking to Cleo, she's so straightforward. She's like, look, we both know this is bullshit and here's why. But then she has to be different with the detective yeah. and the other people that she's yeah. dealing with. The tension between who she really is and the role that she has to play professionally. Right. Thank you. That is a whole phenomenon of code switching, which mm-hmm. we all do, right? Whether we're women in a patriarchy or non-white people with white supremacy, you learn to code switch depending on who you're around. And that's also about that line. How much do you say? How much do you keep on the other side of the line? So yeah, I'm glad that came through too, because I find that I can't write characters or a story with characters like these if I don't deal with that, because that's the reality of life. 
Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Sandra. It was great to talk to you. Could you tell us a little bit about what's up next for you and where people can find you on the internet? Sure. Unfortunately, I am still on Twitter. And my handle is um, at S underscore G underscore Wong, W-O-N-G. I'm a lot on Twitter, so you will probably find me there. I'm also on Instagram at S-G Wong and the number eight. And then there's just my website, sgwong.com. So that's me. What I'm working on is a couple of things. One is I, I mentioned that I write romance. So I have a romance novel out on submission right now. So I'm hoping to see that published at some point in the next few years. And what I'm writing is a second suspense novel. Don't want to say too much about it because I don't want to jinx myself. But this one <laughs> will be different for sure. There's going to be more than one narrator. So that should be interesting. So I'm going through the challenge of coming up with those multiple narrator voices that are distinct, you know, that are really clearly different people. So that's fun. That's interesting. (laughs) Yeah, that's always a challenge, especially having written a series character for a while to try to move into the multiple points of view. I'm working on that myself right now. And it's interesting. Yes. Yeah. You can call me anytime, Kristen, and we will commiserate <laughs> over how freaking hard it is. <laughs> See, I think it's hard to write one book in just one voice. I get bored. I've always had multiple <laughs> POVs. I, yeah. I tried to write just one voice and I was like, oh my God, you again? <laughs> oh, I will DM you when I need to remember that, uh, Lane. Okay. You can just tell me like, listen, lady. <laughs> It's so fun with multiple POV because you can play with the things that they say differently. Like it's the yeah. one person's perspective and then the other person's perspective and the truth is somewhere in the middle and the reader has to figure it out. That's what I think yes. is so fun about it. Yes. And that actually speaks to the heart of this book that I'm working on. Like what is the truth and it, does it actually change depending on who's telling the story? So right. I'm definitely in that Well, that sounds awesome. We will look out for that in the future and your romance novel and anything else you're up to. And everybody, you can go get In the Dark We Forget. It is out now at the time this episode airs. Thank you so much, Sandra. Thank you, Lane and Kristen. I had so much fun. Thank you so much. That's it for this episode of Unlikable Female Characters. Don't forget to subscribe, and you can also follow us on Twitter at UnlikableFCPod for updates, book recommendations, and angry feminist rants. Our website is unlikablefemalecharacters.com, and we're also on Instagram at unlikablefemalecharacters. Thanks for listening.